Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for a chance to uh, be in prayer this morning. Lord, I know that uh, for uh, many churches, this is a difficult time. They're trying to figure out new technologies. They're trying to figure out how to meet the needs of the people in their church, Lord. Uh, So thankful uh, that we have uh, so many ways to reach out now that maybe weren't there in the past. Uh, Lord, just this week, I had the chance to pray with uh, Eric Wiseman over at uh, Agape Baptist Church, Lord. Father, I would pray for him. Every church has a unique situation, and so I pray for his unique ministry there at Agape Baptist, Lord, that he would know how to reach the people in his church, how to best minister to them, uh, at the same time trying to do his best to uh, follow the instructions that have been given to us by the government and also uh, how to keep people safe and healthy. Uh, Lord, would you give him wisdom? Would you give the people of that church uh, the uh, love for him and for one another, that they would be caring for one another, that they would be Uh, growing through this time, that they would see this as an opportunity to um, grow in their knowledge and understanding of your son, Jesus Christ, that they would be conformed more and more to his image. Lord, I also thank you for uh, the missions work we get to be a part of internationally. I think of Anna Davis uh, as she is currently uh, in Jordan in lockdown, uh, that she was there uh, for the purpose, Lord, of um, ministering to missionaries. And she's in the middle of this uh, conference and um, trying to do this from an, uh, a lockdown hotel with just a handful of people in attendance. And uh, Lord, I pray for her and the others that are ministering there that you would keep them safe, that you would allow them to uh, be able to learn better ways to study and to minister, uh, that they'll enjoy the fellowship of one another. And uh, Lord, that you'll uh, allow them to not uh, get crosswise with the authorities there. Lord, we also thank you so much uh, for the people who do ministry in our church. Uh, I think of the uh, action team that we have here, uh, Lord, just a a simple ministry. Uh, They do dramatic performances to songs, uh, but it's intended to be first evangelistic uh, when they perform those group uh, uh, performances, uh, but it's also discipleship for each one of those kids, Lord. And I've just been blessed over the years seeing how uh, the, the older kids that are running it Uh, have been trained to disciple the younger kids who are in the group, and then that group will move up someday and they'll disciple kids. Lord, just a powerful ministry that I think our church has been blessed with. It's behind the scenes. Not a lot of people know it. and Not a lot of people get the chance to see the power of it. Uh, But Lord, I think it's going to bring about a a generational harvest of of future ministers, future missionaries, people that will be serving in your church both locally and internationally. Father, this morning I want to pray... Now, first for our church community, that uh, there are people in our church who are uh, maybe nervous today or frustrated or uh, have needs that can't be uh, immediately expressed or, or met, whether they're spiritual needs or physical needs. Lord, uh, I would be uh, just thankful to be reminded by you that you are paying attention to us, that you know every detail of everything going on in our life and that you're here uh, to minister to us, to care for us. So Lord, help us to reach out when we need to and to share with others when we have something to share. Lord, I would pray as well, uh, Lord, not just for our church, uh, but I would pray, Lord, for uh, our community, that all over the city of Cheyenne, there are people who who don't know you, who don't have church, who don't have uh, online uh, groups like this where they can find some bit of comfort. Father, I would pray that you would uh, keep them safe, Lord, and I do pray specifically that uh, the coronavirus would be stopped worldwide, but certainly in our city, uh, that you would be already Uh, blocking it from moving into our city, that we wouldn't see things be getting worse, uh, but things would quickly start to now get better. Father, we pray for the word this morning. The chance to be in your word is always powerful and it's exciting for us. 
Oh, Father, I would ask that you would open up Revelation chapter 8 to us, uh, that you would have it uh, uh, do its work, what it always does. Every time we approach your word, we're told that it, uh, it changes who we are. Oh, Father, it is certainly uh, doing work on our hearts. Your word is constantly uh, preparing us for every good work that we've uh, got before us and correcting us and training us in righteousness. So, Lord, I would pray uh, that you would open it up so we could understand it today and help us to see not just how it uh, appears in the future, what this means for future events of this world, but also how it relates to us today, uh, how we can apply this to the things that are going on in our life. Lord, we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you would, go ahead and get your Bible and then open that Bible to Revelation chapter 8. And while you're looking for your Bible and turning to Revelation chapter 8, uh, let me just give you a quick review of what we've got going on here. Uh, we didn't pick Revelation chapter 8 at random. Uh, it was intentional uh, in the sense that uh, we've been working our way through the years, verse by verse, through the entire Bible. In fact, over the last 14 years, we've been all the way through the entire Bible. And then we restarted earlier this year. Uh, we're working on the New Testament at a little faster pace. We're going one chapter a week. Uh, so we've already done the Gospel of John. We've done 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Uh, I believe, uh, anyway, we're now in the book of Revelation. We've done James as well. Uh, but we're in the book of Revelation. And so for the last weeks, we've been taking one chapter a week of the book of Revelation. So if you're just catching into this, although you're in the middle of the book, uh, you're getting to the exciting parts. And so that's kind of a cool time to start out. But I just want to give you kind of the layout of what happened uh, at the beginning of the book. Uh, John, the apostle, was given a vision by Jesus Christ so that he could see, ultimately, the things that are going to come in the future. And so he's divided this book up into the things that are. That's that initial vision of John. The things uh, that are after, I'm sorry, the things that were, that was that initial vision. The things that are, that's the letters to the churches. And then the things that happen after these things, which start in chapter 4, verse 1. And so those are looking at more of the end times events. Uh, our belief is that at chapter 4, uh, that's when the church is removed from the world. So everything that's happening on planet Earth, uh, we're seeing from heaven's perspective because that's where the church is throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. Now, we understand that there are other believers who don't believe that's true. They either don't believe there is a rapture uh, or they don't believe that the rapture happens in chapter 4. Maybe they see it later uh, in chapter 9. Some will see it even later than that. Uh, but uh, that's okay. Uh, don't let that bother you because here's the deal. Whether they expect the rapture now if they expect it later, either way, no matter what, their hope is in Jesus Christ. So we're all still on the same team. This is an intermural debate. This is something that's happening within the church. It's not happening with people who are unbelievers. So if somebody has a different view on the end times than you, that's not a reason to end fellowship with them. But for the perspective of how we're teaching, we believe that the church has been removed at this point. Now we saw last week in chapter 7 that during this time of God pouring out his wrath on the earth, or what's known as the seven-year tribulation, there's going to be 144,000, whether that's a real number or a symbolic number, we don't know, but 144,000 people from the nation of Israel who will now get a glimpse of God 
and the, and the, the lamb who was slain for them, who is Jesus Christ, they're going to get that glimpse of him. And there's going to be a large number of people from the nation of Israel who are going to give their life to Jesus Christ during those end times events. Uh, in addition to that, in chapter 7, we saw that there would be a multitude of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that would begin to follow after Jesus Christ. And so we believe even during the time of tribulation, it's also a great time of evangelizing the world. And so a lot of great opportunities for the gospel to go out in the middle of that. Uh, when we ended in chapter 7, there's this amazing worship service in heaven. There's multitudes of singing, the angels and the people who are in heaven, and they're all around the throne, and they're worshiping God. And it's kind of this powerful moment where we're promised that at the end of this, for those who overcome, for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, uh, when we enter into heaven, there's going to be no more hunger, no more thirst, no more sun beating down on us, overheating us. Uh, that the Lamb himself, who is Jesus Christ, will be their shepherd and be their guide to these springs of the water of life, this eternal life, and that God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So it's just kind of this amazing moment. There's this great amount of worship going on. And then we get to chapter 8, where we're going to pick it up today. In verse 1, it says this in contrast to that. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. So imagine now you've had this kind of heavenly worship service. The multitude of angels, the multitude of people are all together worshiping God. If you could imagine the volume of that. And then the lamb, and that's representing Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain. The lamb, it says, now breaks the final seal of the seven seals that we saw earlier in chapter 5. He breaks that final one, and immediately in heaven, there's silence for 30 minutes. Can you imagine going from the great volume of multitudes singing, of thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people singing, uh, bigger than any group we've ever had here on earth gathered together, and then that volume just instantly stops when that last seal is broken. And then there's just silence. It's a reminder that the things that are about to happen are serious. So when that seventh seal was broken, we're told that there were seven angels who God gave seven trumpets. We don't know exactly who these seven angels are. They're not described to us anywhere else specifically. Uh, we do see that there are certain angels who have the job of standing before the throne of God. Uh, the angel Gabriel is one of those, uh, but so maybe he's one of these seven. We don't know, but just this understanding that there are angels who it's their job just to stand before the throne of God. Uh, in this case, seven of those angels have been handed seven trumpets. And when they blow these seven trumpets, uh, they'll be doing that here in chapter 8, the first four, two more in chapter 9, and then we'll see some final trumpets uh, blown. I, I, I can't even remember where it is now. I've lost it. But in a couple of chapters, we'll see that final trumpet blown. Uh, but uh, as these things are happening, these angels are going to blow these trumpets. There's going to be horrible things happening on planet Earth. There's going to be some crazy things happening uh, here on the Earth. Now, trumpets in Scripture kind of have uh, some common things that you see. Uh, there's a number of things that you'll see that the trumpets were used for in Scripture. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind 
uh, is, and also comes to my notes because I've written it down, uh, but in the book of Exodus, there's this great scene where the people of Israel are surrounding the mountain and Moses is supposed to go up and speak to God and this cloud comes around the mountain and as God's preparing to speak, there's these loud trumpets. And so oftentimes trumpets are connected with God speaking. We see that elsewhere in scripture, uh, even in the book of Revelation, uh, even Jesus' voice was described as a loud trumpet. And so you see this kind of connection there uh, that sometimes trumpets are connected with the idea of God speaking. Uh, there's another connection that you'll see. Uh, you'll see it in Leviticus chapter 23 and you'll see in Numbers 10. And we're going to actually see a, a, diff, a, a handful of different things in Numbers 10. Uh, but one of the things they would do with the nation of Israel is they would blow trumpets to celebrate feasts. In fact, they have one feast called the Feast of Trumpets. And they would also blow these trumpets during times of sacrifices. So they had these sacrifices of animals uh, that they would do for the purpose of worshiping God. Uh, each one of those sacrifices reminding us that there needed to be a sacrifice for sin so that when Jesus came as the final sacrifice, everyone who had been bringing sacrifices would go say, oh, okay, now we see Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. But when they would blow those trumpets during those sacrifices, it would be a, a reminder to all the people of Israel that these sacrifices are still happening. And so they would have that happen at every one of the times of sacrifice. And then even at the beginning of every month, they would blow this one more time. So you just had these regular blowing of trumpets. Uh, another reason to blow trumpets in the scripture is to summon people. Uh, when I was in uh, junior high and high school, if we wanted to have an assembly, they would ring a bell and all the kids would come running. They would know when the bell rang, they were supposed to go to the assembly. And so they would all show up uh, at the gymnasium or wherever they were having the assembly. That's where all the kids would go. It's similar to that in the nation of Israel with God's people. He would blow trumpets and it would be drawing people to the place of worship. Uh, we'll see that also, by the way, in some of these end times events. Uh, we're told that the rapture will happen uh, at the last trumpet. And so you're going to see kind of this idea of a trumpet blowing and it's summoning all the people of God uh, up to heaven. Uh, an interesting one that you'll see also in Numbers chapter 10, uh, they blew trumpets as a warning when there was a, a war about to happen, where people were about to attack the city. They would blow these trumpets. Again, this was a warning for all the people. Very similar, if you were ever in the military, we had air raid sirens. I don't know if you had to go through any of those practices in your time in the military, but these air raid sirens would go off and everybody knew how to respond to those. Uh, and then uh, another interesting one, I think more interesting only because of the connection to the letter seven, uh, but we have seven trumpets here that are going to bring calamity to planet earth. But if you recall back in the book of Joshua chapter six, they blew seven trumpets and the walls came down. And so calamity was brought to the city of Jericho. And so it's almost like a picture of this is being played out throughout the history of the world. And in fact, that's what I think does happen oftentimes through scripture. Uh, when we see the description of heaven given in the book of Revelation, it's eerily and intentionally similar to the description of the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. We've been working our way through the book of Exodus. And as we get to the end of that book in our midweek services, uh, you're going to see now a description of what the tabernacle, the place of worship looked like. And it is described exactly like heaven. It was intended to be a model for the people of heaven so they could have a visual aid for that. And so a lot of the events that we see happening throughout the earth, uh, some would call them rehearsals for God's ultimate plan. Uh, I would call them more of a foreshadowing or a prophecy of God's ultimate plan, continuing to put those ideas and those pictures ahead of us. Uh, and then another thing that you'll see that trumpets are used for 
Uh, Psalm 150 tells us that trumpets are used for praise. Uh, but in this case, as we look at these trumpets being blown here, uh, I think they are announcing God's wrath as it's finally being poured out on the earth. You might recall uh, at the end of chapter 6, it says their great, and verse 17, it says, for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. And in chapter 7, there was this interlude in heaven and now the trumpets are being blown. It's an announcement that God's preparing and sending his wrath to the earth. Well, when we look at things like that, uh, we have to take a moment and consider the question, why is God's wrath being poured out on earth? Let's see if we can answer that as we read this next section. Verse 3, another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it on the earth. And there followed peals of thunder, sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. So now we have another angel shows up on the scene. This other angel is holding, holding what is called a golden censer. Uh, for most of us, that may not seem uh, like something we would recognize. It's not something that we would normally see. Maybe if you grew up in a Catholic or Orthodox church, uh, that would make more sense to you. But it's essentially uh, a mobile incense burner. They would hold this censer. It had hot coals in the bottom and they would pour incense over it and the smoke would rise up. And that smoke was intended to represent the prayers of God's people rising up to heaven. And you can even see that here in this passage in verse 3. It says, um, he was given a golden incense uh, was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of the saints on the golden altar. So also now we see that he's going to take the incense or this fire. He's going to add it to the prayers of the saints that are already before God, which for me, this is powerfully comforting to remember that my prayers go up to God and they are in his presence. And in this case, it describes him as being on this altar that's in front of him. And I believe it's the altar of incense that you see uh, in the Old Testament in the pictures of the tabernacle and the pictures of the temple. But our prayers go up before God and they're on now this altar before him. And he hears and answers our prayers. I think there's also an intentional connection here. What I think God wants us to see here in the book of Revelation is that our prayers are being answered in his judgment. Now, that might not sound like something you've necessarily prayed. Well, I don't remember praying that God would send his wrath on the earth and destroy a third of it. I don't remember asking him to burn up all the trees, but wait, I think you did. <laughs> Uh, you might have done it in a couple of different ways. Uh, probably more, a more common way uh, that you would have done it is when you do ask for justice. We constantly see injustice in the world around us, and we begin to pray to God, and we ask for his justice. And sometimes we get frustrated because his justice doesn't come immediately. But what God is showing us here is that his justice comes at the right time, at the perfect time, and it's going to be coming at the end of time to bring justice to the earth. Instead of 
now, 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 now. It's going to be then. That's in his timing and it's in his way. Now, why would he wait like that? It's because he's patient. He's patiently waiting for people to repent. He's patiently waiting for people to give their life over to him, to confess their sins so that he can take the justice that was already poured out on his son, Jesus Christ, and apply it to your life. He's patiently waiting so that you can have a time of repentance. Another interesting way we've prayed for God's justice that I don't think we think about, it comes from the book of Matthew. When the disciples gathered together with Jesus and they asked him this question, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then in verse 10, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we're praying for God to establish his kingdom on heaven, part of that prayer is that God overthrow Satan's rule on this earth. That he overthrows this sinful kingdom that we have here on earth. And so, yes, this is that moment when our prayers for justice are being answered. These are our prayers for God's kingdom to be answered. And this has been going on since the beginning of time. We've been praying for God to establish his kingdom. We've been praying for God to bring justice to the earth. And what he's saying is, I'm going to do it all in one swoop. I'm going to do it all in one period of time, the time of my wrath. And for all those people in that time who don't have Christ as Lord, they're going to receive justice for their sin, for walking their way apart from God, which we saw so very clearly earlier in chapter 7, uh, when God made himself known and he made himself visible. Uh, I'm sorry, at the end of chapter 6, he made himself known, he made himself visible to the people on earth. And instead of repenting, or as I like to call it, renegotiating your contract with God, instead of repenting, they hid from him. And they decided that they would rather die than face God. I say, rather repent. But this is that moment when we see that he takes the fire and he throws it with the incense. It's adding to the people's prayers. And then those prayers that have been gone up to heaven, have now been answered on earth. Uh, I would add to that this. I've spent my entire Christian life praying. I've prayed individually. I've prayed at church. I've prayed in prayer groups. Uh, Every week, I have prayer with the staff at different times during the week. I have on Tuesday mornings, I have a prayer time here at the church just with pastors. Uh, I have a prayer time on Sunday night that my wife and I are part of uh, here at the church. Uh, We've prayed with our kids as they go to bed at night. We pray before our meals. We pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. Here's what I absolutely 100% believe. I believe that the world is different because of our prayers. I believe things on planet earth have absolutely changed because of our prayers. And it should make us more desiring to pray, even if we don't always get to see exactly how it works out. But I know this, I know I've prayed for my daughter and for my son, for their future spouses, their whole life. I know when those spouses come, they'll be in response to that prayer. It's not to put any extra pressure on those people to say that they have to be perfect. But they are an answer to prayer. It's God's will working out in response to my prayers. It's powerful for me to see those things. I've prayed for churches for years. We've been doing this on Sunday mornings. I think churches in the city of Cheyenne are stronger because we as a church 
and this group of pastors that meets on Tuesday morning because we pray. I think there's stronger churches. We believe wholeheartedly that we've actually converted churches through this, that there have been churches in town that had pastors who didn't believe the Bible was true. When they left, we prayed for new pastors to come in that were evangelical. And time and time again, we've seen that happen. And it changes the destiny of those churches. Our prayers here on earth rise up before heaven and they have an impact on earth. It should cause us to pray. Uh, When I think about the stuff that's going on right now with the coronavirus, man, pray, pray, pray. There's so many things that we're doing that are important. Social distancing, uh, making sure you do all the right stuff with your food, all those kinds of things that you're supposed to be doing. Don't touch your face, which by the way, I can't stop doing now that they told me not to. But pray. I believe that this will be shortened because of our prayers. I don't know what it could have been, but I believe because of all the things we're doing practically, but in addition to that, because of the things we're doing in prayer, that it's going to have an impact on how we deal with this coronavirus. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute more, uh, but uh, I want to now kind of look at what happens. These angels have prepared themselves to sound, and we see in verse 7 that first trumpet, the first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. So when that first trumpet is blown, a third of the earth burned up, a third of the trees burned up, and all the green grass, which is none of the grass in Wyoming, so we're good. But all of the green grass was burnt up, and a third of the trees and a third of the earth. That is a new form of global warming that we haven't seen yet. Uh, It says it comes down as hail fire mixed with blood. Uh, These are kind of where we get this idea from Scripture of hail fire and brimstone preachers. It's from this type of thing. Uh, It's this idea that we're going to use the end times to scare people into heaven. Um, To which I say, the end times should scare you into heaven. I mean, they should honestly make you consider how small you are in response to the God who created everything and what he can do. And that fear then of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of your faith. When you understand that he is a God who judges, it should make you want to go to him in advance and try to get a plea bargain. Try to get forgiveness. I'm going to go through the next ones here as well. I'm going to do these rather quickly, and then we'll come back and talk about how this relates. But uh, verse 8 now, the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the earth became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So now the second angel sounds, and we're seeing something, and it's not really a burning mountain, but it's something like a great burning mountain thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Now you're going to start to see some familiarity with some of these things. In some of the Old Testament judgments, you see similar ideas. And so the idea of water into blood, which we're seeing here, same thing that happened in the, ex- the, the book of Exodus uh, when Uh, Moses approached Pharaoh to get the people of Israel uh, out of slavery and bondage. One of the things was this type of thing. You're going to see some of these things 
clearly elsewhere in Scripture. Another one that I find just fascinating or interesting to me personally is in the book of Job. Uh, it basically describes God as having a garage up in heaven where he stores the giant hailstones. Probably for this day, although it's not the only day. Uh, there's also a battle in the book of Joshua where it says God sends hailstones on the enemies of Joshua. And on that day, more people were killed by hail than by the armies of Israel. And so God was fighting for his people. He's fighting for the nation of Israel. But what we see here now is God sending again these hailstones as a judgment on the earth. A third of the creatures which are in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And so if you happen to see the first plague happen, the sea or the land gets burned up, the trees get burned up, and all the green grass gets burned up, it's time to quit your job as a fisherman because it's about to get ugly, right? So now we have that second angel. Uh, now we're going to pick up the third angel in verse 10. The third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. So now we're seeing uh, some sort of a great star fall from heaven, burning like a torch. And so you can almost imagine like a comet or something like falling to the earth. And as it does this, it strikes the earth. And when that happens, a third of the rivers and the spring waters on earth now become bitter. We're told that the star's name is Wormwood. Wormwood refers to an actual bush that is bitter. Uh, they used it back in the day for medicines, for vermouth and absinthe, and it kind of has this bitter taste to it. That's going to be what the water is going to be like. The water is going to be turned bitter, and because of this bitter water, many men will die. And so that's the third trumpet blowing. Verse 12, we now see the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. And so now there's going to be this darkness on earth. It's not going to be a total darkness. It's not going to be pitch black or anything like that. But instead, what we're going to see is a partial, dark, partial darkening of the earth. And I don't know exactly how that's going to work. I don't know if God just has a dimmer switch up in heaven, and he's like, okay, turn in the stars down about a third, or if there's going to be something that surrounds the planet Earth, uh, maybe pollution or something like that, that makes it hard for the sun to shine all the way through. Don't know how any of that's going to work. I'm just going to trust uh, that God has this all figured out. But all of these things should stand as warning signs for anybody else on planet Earth that they need to repent. Like when these things start happening, when you see calamity and you see difficulty, it should bring to mind this understanding or this idea that now is the time for me to turn to God. Now is the time for me to say to God, I'm sorry for all the times I've tried to live my life my way instead of your way. Please spare me from this. It also brings, I think, uh, a difficult question to mind that we as Christians need to be able to answer. That's this. When bad things happen on earth, why? 
Uh, people have asked it different ways. Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, but just the general sense, why bad things? Well, I'm going to give you uh, basically uh, three answers to that. Answer number one, sin. Answer number two, Satan. And answer number three, sovereignty. These three things will describe it for us. And let me work through those one by one. Uh, the first one is the idea of sin. Uh, what I mean by that is that our entire planet has been completely different. And I would say getting worse. And so if you think of an old car, like if you take a brand new Cadillac and you park it out in a field, it looks beautiful. But over time, it begins to wear down and to break down. I believe wholly that that's what's happening on planet Earth. That planet Earth is like an old car parked out in a field. When God created the Earth, it was perfect. It was wonderful. It was amazing. But then Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. And Satan helped with that, by the way, through his deception. When sin entered the world, it was no longer perfect. And it has been devolving since then. And so we have seen this continuous spread of difficulty, of disease. The universal impact of sin is, I believe, wearing down our genetic code both for us and for all the plants and all the trees. I think it's causing all kinds of difficult things. Uh, for me, that's the number one reason. Uh, as a world right now, we're in the middle of this corona pandemic. The number one reason for me personally is just that. It's that we live in a world that is no longer perfect. And it is slowly deteriorating. That's part of that deterioration. Uh, there's also times where bad things happen because of sin that's more personalized. There are very specific times in Scripture where God lets us know that the bad things in our life might be a result of our sin. Because we're doing sinful things, bad things follow that. And God uses those things for us personally to get our attention. Uh, he also does that nationally. You can see at different times in Scripture where entire nations before God are deemed sinful, that all of their actions, there's no justice in the land. There's no love for the neighbor. There's murder and there's robbery and all of these things are kind of overtaking these lands and nobody's following after God. You see it happen uh, over and over and over generationally in the nation of Israel. If you read through Kings and Chronicles, if you read through Judges, you just kind of see this roller coaster of world events where they have this generation that stands up and they're following God and then the very next generation forgets about him and then God sends calamity to get their attention. And so we have that type of thing that happens. Um, I'm not sure that's what's happening now with the coronavirus. I can't say uh, that that would be the thing, but I would say this. It's certainly a good time to stop and think is, as a people, how are we doing? Are, are we following God? Are we seeking justice? Are we loving other people? Times like this lead us to those types of answers. Now, that's the sin. But what about Satan? Uh, we can see in a number of places in Scripture two things about Satan. Number one, that he's the prince of this earth. That so much of what goes wrong on this earth is the result of Satan. That he just loves to steal, to kill, to destroy. That's who he is. It's in his nature. There's actual spiritual force, a spiritual person named Satan who seeks to destroy God and his people and God's creation. He loves to wreak havoc. And a lot of the difficulties that we see on planet Earth, they come from Satan. Interesting piece of that puzzle, though, when you look at the book of Job, you recognize that Satan needs permission 
to do these things. And that brings us to our third answer, and that's sovereignty. That means that God is in control of everything. It doesn't mean God causes everything, but ultimately in God's sovereignty, he allows these things to happen. And it's hard for us to kind of imagine that, but we've already looked at one piece of why he allows these things to happen. He allows these things to happen to get the attention of people so that they'll focus on him. But ultimately, we're also told he allows these things to happen to bring punishment. That's certainly what we're seeing here in the book of Revelation. This is a punishment sent on what's left of the people of earth because they've rejected him. They're receiving the punishment that is due them because of their sin. Now, I'm not saying that's what's happening with the coronavirus. Please don't take that out of context. That's just a bigger picture of how all of this works together. But there's another piece of God's sovereignty that I think is important for us to remember as well. It's not just punishment. We're told in the book of Romans, God causes all things, good or bad, all things, to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. One of my favorite things this last week as we've been dealing with all kinds of stuff here at the church and trying to figure out how to do this and how to do that, uh, one theme that I hear repeated by a number of people, it's just this, it's a simple theme, it's this simple idea. God's going to do something great through this. God's going to get the attention of the church through this. God's going to allow the church to change the way that they do things. So that as a church, we can do a better job at ministering to the people of this world. God's going to give the church a voice this week. Ultimately, God can use even bad things to accomplish his goodwill. But let's finish up now. We've read through all four of those trumpets. Next week, we'll get the next couple of trumpets. And then there's going to be a pause in the book of Revelation, which I'm going to fill that pause with a couple of weeks focused on Easter. But for now, let's pick up this last verse, chapter uh, chapter 8, verse 13. Then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet and the three angels who are about to sound. In other words, if you thought that was bad, just wait. It's going to get worse. And so it's woe, woe, woe. Not only just three times to get our attention, but we also have three trumpet blasts remaining. Uh, There's going to be the opening of the bottomless pit. There's going to be this army that arises to the east. And then when that seventh trumpet is blown, it's going to open up seven bowls of plagues on planet Earth. The seven bowls of God's wrath are going to be poured out. So it's, it's not done being bad yet. Now, I'm not typically a hellfire and brimstone preacher. I don't typically like to scare people into heaven because I don't think you need to be scared into heaven. I think it's just such a good deal you should take it. Honest to goodness, I just think it's such a good deal you should take it. When you're told that you can be forgiven of all of your sins, that it says that this about your sins, that God takes your sins and casts them as far as the east is from the west, throws them behind his back, tramples them under his feet, buries them in the sea of forgetfulness, He takes all of your sins, we're told, nails them to the cross with Jesus Christ, takes the certificate of debt listing all those sins, marks it paid in full, and we're even told in Scripture, for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, God chooses to remember your sins no more. Not that there's no impact from your sin here on earth, 
There definitely is. But from God's perspective, he no longer sees you as a sinful person. He remembers your sins no more. He instead sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, applied to your life. That's just a good deal. You should just take it. But if you're not after just a good deal, then yes, you should be absolutely afraid of what follows. Destruction on earth and even the death that follows that leads to eternal life, not in heaven, but in hell for those who don't believe. I like to end services from time to time with just this reminder of what the gospel is. We're told in the book of Romans chapter 10 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so three parts of that. I think the part that jumps out first and probably most important is saved from what? Uh, We've talked about it here briefly, but you are saved from an eternity in hell. Each one of us has deserved that because of our own sin. We can be saved from that by the work of Jesus Christ. When he takes our sin on his sinless life, when he dies in our place, it pays the price for our sins. We're saved from the punishment due us because of our sin. So now the other two things make more sense. They become more important. The first one is remembering that Jesus Christ is Lord, or as it says, confessing the truth that's already out there, but now confessing that he's the Lord. Lord being not just some fancy British title. Lord is a positional statement saying he's the boss. He's now Lord. He's in charge of your life. Uh, The second part of that, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. The same God who promised to raise his son Jesus Christ from the dead and then did it is promising to resurrect us from the dead so that we can live in eternal life with him in heaven. He's demonstrated his power once before. He plans to do it again. If you confess him as Lord and believe in his resurrection, you will be saved. Again, I would just say this. We have people at the church right now that can answer the phone. If you would like to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, all you have to do is call the church office, 635-2977, 635-2977. And the people at the phones there would love to help you make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. With that, I'm going to uh, bring this to an end. Doug's going to lead us in a final song I'm going to pray for you first, uh, and then we will be preparing ourselves to go out and meet this world this week. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for a chance uh, to be able to preach today. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful for the technology that allows it. Lord, I, I, I can't imagine how difficult this would have been even 50 years ago when there was no internet, or 100 years ago when there was no TV or radio. Lord, how powerful that we have this amazing use of technology. Technology in and of itself is neither good or evil. It's just a tool, but Lord, today it was used for good all over your planet. So we celebrate those things. Father, I pray that in the midst of these quarantines, that people would take advantage of this pause in their life, that they would consider you. And I pray for some that today, Today would be their day of salvation. In fact, I can even, I can even envision it in my, 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 my mind, Lord. 
But all over the planet today, there are going to be people sitting in their homes, watching various church services online from the thousands upon thousands of churches that are broadcasting today. And there's going to be a great harvest. Father, we thank you for that. And we worship you because you're a God who is worthy. You're so worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our love. You're worthy of our praise. Father, this, this morning, we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.